0: Hey everyone, you're listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Great, if you can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we started a new series last Sunday. We finished 1 Corinthians, and we're going into Paul's uh, second uh, recorded letter that we have available to us, 2 Corinthians And uh, we're going to be finishing chapter 1 and then going into chapter 2 today because that's the natural chapter division. And so this series is called Lessons from a Maturing Church. We've looked at a messy church, 1 Corinthians, and we're seeing a church mature. Uh, They're not quite there yet, but they are maturing. And so we're learning lessons. We're going to be tucking into some difficult truths, and we're going to be understanding Paul's journey with this particular church community. And so what we have found in the beginning of this letter is that Paul is needing to justify his ministry. He's needing to uh, lay credit behind his ministry and his integrity. Um, And and part of the problem for the reason why he needs to defend his integrity is because he made a promise. Um, Whether he he put it in writing or not, there was spoken word. There was spoken word to the effect that he said to them, listen, I'm going to come and visit again. I'm coming soon. And, uh, and you know what it's like when you tell a kid uh, as a parent that uh, you will be there, and then something happens. You know, it's, it was never your intention to not be there, but there was a delay. There was some kind of delay. Um, and so Paul was delayed. Paul was radically delayed, and he couldn't get to Corinth on time. He couldn't get there at the time that he had said he would like to get there. Now, before you think it was procrastination, or maybe there was a better offer somewhere else... Uh, actually, what we discover is that Paul was delayed because of persecution. And in chapter one, we see that he says that they were on the brink of death for the sake of the gospel. They were being so persecuted for the message they were preaching, they were on the brink of death. And so Paul's delay is not anything to do with his character. However, there were some rogues in the church, and the rogues in the church were leveraging this delay and saying, Here we go, Paul's a fraud he's a fraud. He says one thing and he does another. And so his enemies were interpreting his delay as him being fickle or him being fake. And so they were saying, yo, he said he was coming and now he's not. Isn't that typical of this unreliable guy? He's a fraud. And so Paul needs to respond because we know, isn't it, that, that, that being falsely accused is never nice, right? being falsely accused of something you never really did. And so Paul writes now to correct this false interpretation of his ministry and his character. So we're going to do something together, right? We're going to walk through the text, and it's going to be kind of like going on a hike. All right? Some of you love hiking. And uh, before you get to the destination, you've got to get through some difficult terrain, right? You've got to go through the bush, and you've got to get, go up some slopes, and you've got to go over some rocks, and then eventually you get to the beautiful landscape that you're hoping to see, and that's what we're going to do today. All right, so here we go from verse 12, chapter 1. Paul then says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience—he's appealing to conscience— that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? You see, Paul really gets to the heart of the argument, isn't he? Paul is saying, listen, I'm not a double-minded man who is unstable in all of his ways. All right? He's arguing. He's setting the record straight. He says, when I said this, was I lying? Did I take it lightly? Was I making my plans in a worldly manner? Was I saying yes, no, or if you are near? <laughs> Some of you know how difficult that was. <laughs> but here's what he says. He says, you can prove this. You can prove that I'm not an unstable man. And you can prove it by two things. One is test the message, test the message that we declared to you, and test the manner in which we declared it. So test the message and test the manner in which we declared it. So he goes on, and then he says in verse 18, he says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you, yes, the message, our word to you has not been yes or no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, that he brings in witnesses, was not yes and no. Test the message. The message is consistent, the message is clear. He goes, But in him, in Christ, it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him, Christ that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so the message Paul preached was consistent and clear. And the manner in which he preached it can be tested also. So he goes on and then he says, But I call God, verse 23, I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. So now he's interpreting God's providence differently to the, how they interpreted God's providence. Paul sees God's providence as a means of grace to them rather than an infringement upon his ministry. He says, I call God to witness. It was to spare you that I was refrained from coming again to Corinth. Look at this, verse 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Now, what Paul's doing here in this particular verse is not only is he defending his apostolic integrity but he's contrasting his apostolic ministry with what has emerged in the Corinthian church, and that is some false apostles, or what they call super apostles. And so what had happened is that in Paul's absence, so Paul went away He planted the church. He went away. He was away for two years. Then he wanted to come back, and he couldn't come back because of persecution. He nearly died. He was delayed. They interpreted that as an indictment upon his ministry. But Paul is saying, actually, it was a saving grace for you because we could have caused you some pain. Now, what do we mean by this? Well, we're going to read it shortly, but here's the truth. What Paul is about to say is that the super apostles that you've suddenly got caught up in their their charisma, you've got caught up in their personalities, are actually leading you astray. And we would have come in and we would have set the record straight, and we would have given you some painful truth to to bring order to the congregation. And you see, what these super apostles were doing was that they were actually sowing division in the church. And Paul's about to say that what would have happened is he, he would have come in like a father, Not like a super apostle, but like a father, and he would have applied fatherly discipline to the church. So let's hear again Paul's response, and note his fatherly tone. Chapter 2 now, from verse 1. He says, for, which is an indication that it's a continuation of his thought, so it's not a whole new thought. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And so Paul is desperate, desperate that they, that they don't get swept up in the charismatic nature of these super apostles, these self-appointed super apostles, but that actually they recognize Paul's fatherly heart towards them and that they will be aligned with, with the truth that actually hurts. Now, let's just pause there how do we know what's the truth how do, how do we know obviously you could say well you know it's what we see in the scriptures in the bible yes but is there another test and i just want to suggest to you and this is a little philosophical but there is a test if if something is very comfortable question it if something is difficult hard to receive it's likely that it's true. It's, it's like that when, when we are corrected, right? Isn't that true? When we are corrected, it's never pleasant. And sometimes it requires tough truth. And it's not that it's, it's, it's not that it's hard to interpret, it's because it's hard to swallow, right? <laughs> truth sometimes is painful, And so Paul wants to write, and he wants to be there, and he wants to bring some truth, but he knows it's going to be painful. Not only is it like a father disciplining a child, it's sometimes like a doctor who has to inflict some pain to cut out the cancer from the body so that it can heal. And this is what Paul is doing. And Paul wants to express this to the church. But then suddenly there's a change of tone here in verse 5. And we get an insight that not only is Paul contrasting his ministry to the super apostles, but he's contrasting his truth to another gospel that brings about another kind of pain. A pain that is deceiving, a pain that leads people astray. So look what he says next. He says in verse 5, he says, Now if anyone has caused pain... He has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. All right. Now, I hope you're not completely confused, but this is why I said it's like going through some bush to get to the landscape, right? What we see here is that these super apostles have sowed a message into the life of the church that has led people astray so much so that there's been some moral failure. It's most likely sexual sin. And what has happened is that this pain has caused havoc in the church. It's caused dissension in the church, it's caused division in the church, and it's caused pain in the church. But thankfully, what Paul says here is that you've addressed it. So you've got this false gospel, which has caused pain, and Paul's saying, the way we remedy this is with the truth that also causes pain. And, and basically what he's saying is, you've done well because you applied church discipline to the person that was infringing. And what you did was, although it caused pain to everyone, is that you brought some punishment in. You have brought in some fatherly discipline. Well done, Church. Well done for taking side with the truth that does cause pain over against the false accusations or false gospel that causes more pain. And now what he's about to show us is that actually this is a good story because what he's about to show us is that the pain that was inflicted, because they did church discipline, because they corrected the issue, Paul is about to restore the individual, and this is such a great example of forgiveness in a loving community. So read on with me, and, uh, and then it should all start to make sense, all right? We're getting to the, to the precipice of the landscape, and hopefully we can see clearly what's going on here. Verse 7, so he says, so, here's his conclusion, so you should rather turn To forgive and comfort him. So, having disciplined, having disciplined, having inflicted punishment, and we've all felt the pain, he says, Forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So, I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Which, Which side are you going to take? Which truth are you going to believe? Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. All right, so here we are. We're at the landscape. Are you ready to see the view? I hope you're not too bruised and battered by getting there. Here we go. Paul actually wants to speak to us about the wonderful delight of forgiveness, of a loving community that gets messy. And how do we resolve mess? Sometimes there's pain involved in mess. Sometimes there's pain involved in community. And when we do life together, there can be offenses and there can be obstacles and there can be things that cause hurt and pain. There can be false gospels. There can be false accusations. There can be gossip. There can be all sorts of nonsense in a community of any sort and kind. But here's what Paul is saying is how do we move forward from that? Does it does it cause havoc? Does it disrupt everything? How do we move forward? And Paul's going to show us that the importance of forgiveness is incredibly powerful. Notice how he ends. He ends in verse 11. He says, "so that we would not be outwitted by who? Satan." You see Paul sees that Satan has a design. In the midst of pain, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of ignorance, we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. One of Satan's greatest designs is to keep people trapped in unforgiveness, to keep people in a spiral of unforgiveness. To to lull you into thinking that your way of dealing with pain and hurt and offense is better than God's way. And and let me just say, I know this is true. Forgiveness is not easy, right? We all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until you have to forgive, (laughs) right? But Paul's very clear that Satan has a plan in this. Satan loves to keep people in a web of unforgiveness, that that we would hold on to offenses, that we would take issues into our own hands, that we would justify our hurt by taking it out on others. And we can take it out on others emotionally by manipulating. We can take it out on others physically by withdrawing, by gossiping. But Paul's bottom line here is, are we really going to live and play into Satan's hand? Or will we do it God's way? Because there's going to be pain on on both sides. There's going to be the pain of letting go and trusting God, or there will be the pain of bitterness and anxiety. So he gives us some pointers And I'm going to go through them quickly. The first thing he says about the importance of forgiveness is this, is that we are to forgive for your sake. Forgive for your sake. Look at this in verse 10. He says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. He practices what he preaches, right? What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. You see... The problem with unforgiveness is that it's like drinking poison in the hope that the other person dies. It never works, right? Because who dies? You do. And so that's why forgiveness is actually for your sake, to, to free you. Forgiveness is a promise of freedom. Forgiveness is One of the greatest gifts you can give yourself, it is so liberating to trust God with your pain and someone else's wrongdoing. Now, we need to be cautious here because we're not talking about criminal pain inflicted. We're talking about sinful pain. And there is a difference. If there's a criminal situation, then We can extend forgiveness, but there are consequences. Just as there are consequences with the sin, as we saw in this text, they inflicted punishment on them. There was church discipline, but it wasn't a never-ending discipline, right? Paul is saying, this person has served his sentence. He has received the discipline, and now restore him. Forgive him. And so forgive for your sake, Because you're the one who's in the prison. In Ephesians 4 verse 31, it says this. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And in a sense, he's describing the fruits of unforgiveness. And they are ugly, aren't they? I mean, they're really ugly. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. I mean, even, even people in the world have done studies on the fruits of unforgiveness. And they, and they show things that are so interesting that, that, that actually what happens is if you harbor unforgiveness, you carry that into every new environment. So you think, because I changed the environment, I will be a different person. No, you don't. You take that with you, you take the bitterness, you take the anger, you take it with you. If, even into a new relationship, you, that relationship produced this, you think, oh, I'm going to change the relationship, but actually you take it with you. The, test, the studies also show that what happens is you often drift into depression, anxiety, and you get so wrapped up in the wrong that you don't know how to enjoy the present. It's so destructive. And so Paul says, do it for your sake. It's a promise of freedom. Secondly, he says, forgive not only for your sake, but for their sake. Verse 7, so that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. In other words, the discipline has, has worked Now it's time to restore. It's time to extend forgiveness. I mean, this is so different, isn't it, from the way of the world. The way of the world is what? I don't get mad, I get even. Have we heard that? We don't get mad, we get even. No, as Christians, we don't. What we do is we forgive and comfort and restore. We extend the grace of Christ In other words, what Paul is saying here is that forgiveness is a powerful expression of the love of God. And he knows it may not change what happened in the past, but it can definitely change the future. And you might be wrestling going, but I don't know if I can do this. And then Peter asked the same question of Jesus in Matthew 18. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? And Jesus replied, as many as uh, Peter said, as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Okay, so 78th time, we're off the hook, right? Jesus isn't speaking literally about numbers, but about the perfect, the perfect, always, Always forgive. And you might be going, well, how do I do this? The standard, therefore, is so high and so seemingly impossible. How do we do this? Well, here's how. Last point, forgive for Jesus' sake. Verse 10, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake. Here it is, in the presence of Christ. You can't do it on your own how do we do it? How do we become a forgiving community? How do you become a forgiving individual? Well, you forgive others because God forgave you. There's a great uh, Puritan quote. It says, to, to err, to make mistakes, is human. To forgive is divine. And you could argue One could easily argue that at the center of Christianity is the message of forgiveness. The power of forgiveness. It's it's incredible. God conquers sin through forgiveness. And if we think about those words of Jesus, think about how sweet are the words when he says, My child, your sins are forgiven. How powerful are those words? And Paul says, this is how we appropriate forgiveness. When you know how much you've been forgiven. When you realize what you have done. When you consider how inexcusable your sins are and yet you've received forgiveness. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4. He says, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. In other words, when you consider how much God has extended forgiveness to you, it humbles you to the point where you're able to extend forgiveness to others. Now, you might be thinking, well, you don't know how bad it was. You don't know how bad that person is. Well, Charles Spurgeon has some great advice for us. He says, If anyone thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks. <laughs> Let me quote Spurgeon, and then we can pray. Spurgeon said this My life was full of sorrow and wretchedness, believing that I was lost. But oh, the blessed gospel of grace came to me, and with it a sovereign word to deliver me. And I, which was what was but a minute before, as wretched as a soul can be, I could have danced for the merriment of heart. And then he says this, to be forgiven is such a sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. And yet, There is one thing that is sweeter still, and that is to give forgiveness to another. As it is more blessed to give than to receive, so to forgive rises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. That is profound. I close with just some thoughts. You might be sitting here going, Well, I've got no one to forgive. Praise God. That's awesome. And so if that is your situation, two things. One is, be ready. <laughs> if this is an important subject, it means community is messy, right? And, and what, yeah, your options. Your options are, I'll do life on my own. That's just not biblical. It's just not the Christian way. We're a body, we're a family, and so there will be risk to, to invest your life in community. there will be risk. there will be risk of offense and, and being disappointed. But it's OK. why? Because we, we forgive. this is what we do. We, we get to be like Jesus. We do it for His sake. We forgive as we've been forgiven. So you don't need to worry about it, all right? Get involved. Oh, but it's going to be messy. Yes, you know that. Oh, but I might get hurt. Yes, but you've got the greatest means. It's called forgiveness. As Christ forgave you, forgive others. And then secondly, if you still think, well, actually, that's okay, I'll be prepared, thanks for that. I still don't have anyone to forgive. Then I just want you to relish this morning. Just relish the forgiveness you've already received. From God but also from the people you've offended that you aren't even aware of, right? (laughs) Who, me? Yes, you. But relish, relish this forgiveness. The forgiveness of Christ who says, my child, your sins are forgiven. And the power of that is worth, is worth everything. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we pray and thank you for your word to us today. Lord, I want to pray for those in our midst who who do need to extend forgiveness, who need to wrestle through some, some anger, some frustration, some bitterness and offense. We thank you that we are not left alone, Lord, that you've actually given us the means that we can actually trust you, Lord. That we can, we can look at how we've offended you, God, and yet you forgave us. Thank you that we can forgive the inexcusable in others because, God, you've forgiven the inexcusable in us. And then, Lord, I pray that we'd be a community together on mission with you. Lord, that you would would shape us and teach us how to do life together. Father, I pray that we would relish this morning the forgiveness that we've received from our creator God. Lord, we are so grateful that in Christ we are forgiven that in Christ we are adopted, justified. Lord, we thank you for your word of pardon. We stand amazed that you would speak this word of forgiveness over us. And Lord, you do it day after day after day. Lord, we, we sin daily. We grieve you daily. And yet your mercies are new. And your forgiveness is sure every day. Lord, we thank you for this message and we pray that you would use it to shape us into a maturing church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we close in this last song.